It's Tom Bilyeu here. And if you are addicted to the relentless pursuit of greatness, then I've got something special for you guys. The Motivation Daily Podcast by Motiversity. It's your daily fix of motivation, inspiration, and wisdom featuring the best speeches and speakers on the planet. We cover it all. Life, business, relationships, discipline, purpose, mental health, sports, studying, focus, you name it. With exclusive speeches from heavy hitters like Coach Payne, Billy Allsbrooks, Marcus Taylor, Dr. Jessica Houston, Walter Bond, and more. If you're ready to take control, level up, or just crush your day, then Motivation Daily Podcast is your secret weapon. Search for the Motivation Daily Podcast and follow wherever you listen to amazing podcasts. What's up, guys? I'm super excited to deliver part two of this highly anticipated conversation with Raoul Paul. In this episode, we're unpacking the impact of a declining global population and how that might be offset by AI and machines. Raoul and I do not see eye to eye on everything in this episode, but you guys and the market get to be the ultimate arbiter of whether this incredibly transitional time is going to play out smoothly or chaotically. So buckle up for this one. It is an incredible ride. On a side note, we've launched our exclusive Impact Theory subscription that lets you listen completely ad-free. We've also curated amazing playlists on topics like health, mindset, business, and relationships, so do not miss out. Click through the show notes to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Supercast for other platforms. I'm Tom Bilyeu, and welcome to Impact Theory. So help me understand why didn't the internet which still to me feels like a productivity productivity miracle. Why didn't that um, change all of this? Why why isn't it already the lily pad that you believe the exponential age is going to be? So I think because it replaced jobs. You don't think, think AI is going to replace jobs? Yes, I do. But I think the, the, the productivity trend is a function of demographics as well. And I don't fully understand why the internet didn't do that, but it also hold out manufacturing jobs. So there was a, a balance on aggregate what happened within the economy. So I'm thinking it's on aggregate it wasn't enough to offset these mega trends that we talked about that were driven by the demographics and the debt and, and the globalization. So I'm thinking it's that. And so we have to have an accelerant because technology growth is not enough to offset demographic issues. And that's what I'm thinking it probably is. You know, we did create, I mean, trend rate of GDP has been falling. So whatever we've done with technology in the same number of people, roughly, we don't seem to have pushed up GDP growth. Let me ask a really ugly question. Hearing everything you're saying, it seems like, I know it's not, but I, I, I'm not yet sure why not. Why isn't the baby boom generation dying off and population contracting uh, deflationary in a good way? It is. Well then, <laughs> tell me more. Uh, I thought, so population collapse, it, my gut instinct is that it's terrible. Um, what's the benefit? The benefit is more stuff for you and I. 
our per capita GDP goes up. And it's observable in Japan. It's observable in Switzerland. So GDP per capita goes up. And that helps offset some of these. Now, the problem is, is per capita is a nice economic term. But right now, it accrues to mega giant companies. So it's a way of redistributing that capital amongst the people, which is important, which is why, you know, I believe in things like Web3 technologies, because it allows more people to participate in ways that they couldn't participate in before, because if not, Google captured it all and Apple capture it all. So I think there's a probability that as the population shrinks, it it creates a slowdown in growth because of the magic formula. But if you can increase that productivity element, then we will be richer per capita. Now, there's a government problem of how you distribute that. You know, you need to tax corporations more than they're being taxed, these giant corporations that pay no tax. Most people with an average business pays tax up to here. But Google pays, I don't know what their marginal rate tax is, 5%. That's wrong. And Amazon, because they're benefiting from the holding out of the American worker in the technology boom. And the people aren't, which is what's making people angry. Now, they're not doing it because they're bad people. It's just the set of cards they've been dealt with. It's been incredibly attractive to be you know, a super large company, particularly one with a growing industry like technology. So, okay, so... I think net-net, you can orchestrate it that per capita GDP rises, but you have to think about that issue. Does it accrue to the people or not? What happens if the population is declining, but productivity doesn't go up? Well, then we just go, trend rate of economic growth just keeps falling. And so the reason that that I'm... So I always assumed that the reason that population falling was a problem is there are fewer people that want to buy your goods and th that's why it, it hollows out the sort of uh, GDP core economic engine. But as I think about it, it would also, um, it's interesting, it's going to create a weird sort of uh, feedback collision, but it would increase wages. So if there are fewer people for companies to hire, uh, that's great for the employees' wages. But if there are fewer companies because there's no one to sell anything to, no problem. Bad assumption. And this is, I can see the, the IMF got into this whole mess as well. And everyone now says inflation's going up as population dies out. Bad assumption because technology is in the business of replacing costs. And they will just find ways to employ less people. I mean, again, you and I have talked about this. Is like, 10 years ago, video editors and sound people, et cetera, were really expensive. But now we can do it on AI. So people have to do two or three jobs. They hustle. It's, it's changed the structure of stuff. And technology will just keep looking for the cost and replacing it. It's, it's, it's relentless. It's the biggest observable trend is once you digitize things, the cost goes to zero in everything it touches. Did you hear the recent speech? I think it was in uh, the European Parliament. Oh God. Uh, I don't know exactly where it was. The speech was in English though. And uh, they were saying basically uh, that we want to degrowth. And they made it sound like this is going to be amazing. Greatest thing ever, degrowth, uh, less people on the planet, 
just all good, all good. Um, but you're saying that's a bad assumption. So, no, the bad assumption is that it creates wage inflation. The degrowth, okay, degrowth at first creates more for less people. Okay, great. And if you can distribute that, great. The issue is, at the end of it, you end up with the robots and the AI. Because you are hyper-incentivized to keep increasing productivity that you are sowing the seeds of our own demise. Because of the economic engine is actually forcing you to, to take this incentive. It's kind of weird, but that's where it's going. Woof. Okay. Is the answer to this slow growth and this shrinking population is more productivity. The way of creating productivity is robots, AI, etc. The faster they grow, the more that we use them, the more that we need them because the population is smaller. This is why Elon Musk keeps saying, people don't understand this. He keeps saying shrinking population is bad. It's not bad for economic growth going down. It's bad because it incentivizes everybody to increase the workforce. So the the hum um the the population side of the equation can be offset by the machines. So look at an Amazon warehouse, perfect example. Amazon has gone from having one and a half million people, uh, about a million people working there and zero robots to a million people and five hundred thousand robots. The robots work 24 7, 365. They're more productive than humans in all aspects, and they just keep replacing humans. Sorry, didn't you say and that Amazon, there's still a million humans working though? So it's just yeah, increased productivity through robots. So are you saying that that should be, to match their scale, it should be 1.5 million people? Correct. So they're replacing the jobs that would have naturally been coming from humans. And this trend will accelerate until there is no need for humans because the machines will have taken over. This is Elon Musk's thing is, the more we try and make these machines more intelligent, the robots better. Elon's building this damn thing himself, right? Mm -hmm. Twitter is the training model for the AI that he's built. And he's got Dojo, one of the largest supercomputers at a, at a focused task that's ever existed. It is the largest. And then he's got the Optimus robot. And there's the end of humanity right there. Because once the genie's out of a bottle. So that's why he's worried. And that's why, you know, you need to pull the ripcord and piss off to Mars. It's not from anything else. It's the logical conclusion of economic forces creating more and more powerful intelligence that doesn't require humans. Okay, now I feel... That's what the singularity gets to. Now I feel seen by you, because this is where I'm at. Um, so then take us back to your early statement that you're optimistic about the exponential age, whereas what you just said is how I feel about the exponential age when I don't forcibly put my optimistic hat on. Because look, I I ultimately, I default to optimism. I think it's a wiser place to be. I, I certainly think it's a more enjoyable place to be. Um, and 
I think that people should find that path where they can explain things in a way that end well. And I thank you for letting me wear my more pessimistic hat because I knew you were going to be in the more optimistic seat here. Um, but why, when you look at exponential age, if you can see the, the economic forces will incentivize that path where as population and demographics are destiny, they're in plain sight, everybody can see it. It is going to decline massively, at least temporarily. That That is for sure. And so as the population begins to decline dramatically, as we then, the economic forces push us to lean more into AI and robotics, and the guy closest to the problem is like, hey, PS, let's get to Mars. Um, where, where do you, like, what's the thing that has to go right? Or where do you think that either Elon okay. or, or myself are looking at this wrong? So you're confusing time horizons. A lot of people do this. A lot of people go, the dollar's going to collapse because it's so much in debt. Probably right. Is it going to happen this year, next year, or in 20 years' time? You can't worry about something that is 20 years out because the future paths are yet unknown, right? Because we're, we're too far out. The event horizon is too far out to get high probability forecasting. So we have to make a huge bunch of assumptions. So let's go to the shorter time horizon is, is are we likely to benefit from the ability to superpower human knowledge? Probably. Are we going to benefit from cheapening energy costs? Probably. Are we going to benefit from the things like self-driving cars, driving us to work, delivering packages, drones, all of the stuff? Are we going to benefit from the space technologies and Starlink? Are we going to benefit? Yes, yes, yes. Is the stock market going to go up if we invest in this stuff? Yes. Okay, so there's a lot of benefits that are being laid out for us all. Is longevity of life going to increase? Yes. Are we going to have massive breakthroughs in, in genetic sciences? Yes. Can we train AI models on cancer and all of this stuff? Yes. Right, okay. That, to me, sounds like a golden age. I call it the Renaissance. Or I'm English, so I call it the Renaissance. Um, but that is... But after that, you get to what people refer to as the singularity, is where it becomes unforecastable. And this is what the debate is going on amongst Sam Altman, Emad Mostak with um, Elon, Noah Harari, everybody, right? It's that moment. It's like, what the hell does that look like? Elon's like, I don't know, so let's just have a plan B. Makes sense? None of us really want to go to Mars, but I get it, right? If we completely screw this up, but I don't see how the the virus of technology isn't like in 2001 a space odyssey it just doesn't go with the ship you know so that's i'm, I'm not sure yeah that's my i don't know that are we able as humans because we're so such an adaptive cockroach of a species well we haven't proven to be yet we're still pretty young on the planet versus others but let's assume we're like crocodiles and sharks and we can hang around for a few million years will we figure out an adaptive mechanism to deal with this maybe that's the that's the optimist outcome is like, oh, no, humans, we're humans, we're, we're amazing, we'll figure this out. And the other one is, we're never going to be as smart as these machines, we're so totally fucked. I don't know. But I know that in my lifetime, there's a 20 or 30 year period, which might be a truly extraordinary moment in history. 
and like and the issue is is we can't see through the other side of it and that's terrifying but you know it's you know we i think we mentioned this last time we chatted i don't have kids so i have to worry about it less mm. people who do I, I get it i get it it is an existential threat of which we cannot figure out how to stop it and regulation it's it's not going to stop it because the technology is out of the bottle it's like you can't stamp crypto out because the technology is out of the bottle now and it's everywhere and yes openai is the current leader with microsoft but all of the big us companies are incentivized to outcompete each other and so they're incentivized to create more and more powerful models but if they get regulated well somebody else will do it this is the geezers you're talking about geysers mm. is they're popping up everywhere but really what is happening is it's a massive bloody explosion that is unstoppable so talk to me talk to me about regulatory so as somebody who doesn't live in the US but you pay attention to the US uh you probably have a much clearer picture than somebody like me who's not only in the US but I'm in California uh how do you think this is all going to settle out? Is the U.S. going to get left behind? Are we being too strict regulatorily? Um, how does this play out? I mean, this is an impossible choice, right? How do you regulate this thing? And how do you get a bunch of 75-year-old politicians to regulate this thing? I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. Oh, we're going to align the models with humanity. What does that even mean? Nobody even knows how to do that. For God's sake, we don't even understand how large language models learn. We don't even know what they know. All we know is, hey, we're figuring out different questions to ask it, and it seems to be able to answer them. But when you listen to Sam Altman, he's like, well, have we created um, you know, AGI? I don't know, he said. I don't think so. And Elon's like, well, it's three to five years away. It's unstoppable because of the profit motive. Mm. Well, also if, what you're talking about earlier with the need for increased productivity, but if you were to, so map this on to the way that different geographies are responding to Bitcoin and crypto, which feel very similar to me, uh, in terms correct. of either you're embracing the new, where things are going, you're willing to face that the way that we're handling the financial system creates these incentives. And so you're either trying to capital control, lock people in, not them, let them leave the country, or certainly not let the capital leave the country. Or you're like, hey, you're using it as a way to get because people to come this, to you. This is a really important point, Tom. Why? Why do they want to stop you leaving? Because they want to mutualize the losses on you. Hmm. If you leave to the other place, they're not mutualizing the losses on you because your crypto hold, it's you know that's why the capital controls it's like don't leave our old system it's like exactly what's happening with the regional banks please don't take your deposits out because they all go bust mm. our participation in the fiat currency system is our deposit and if we go you're just left with leverage because it's the collateral of the system this is why they don't want it to happen and do you but see how do you see the US? Do you think that we're we're being because it feels very antagonistic to crypto at the federal level? You're getting some stuff happening at the state so, level, which is interesting. So this is really important. So firstly, just on the AI versus crypto, very oppressive on crypto. 
The biggest AI companies in the world, the US, so they're probably going to be a bit softer touch around that. And these guys are playing the usual trick of, we'll be good guys, you don't need to regulate us, we'll kind of do the right thing, right? Because there's too much money available in this equation. So crypto US, because, you know, the US pro... uh, US citizens actually have a lot of capital restrictions. The land of the free is actually pretty unfree. People don't want to deal with US citizens in banks. So if you come to the Cayman Islands or the UK or Spain and you're a US citizen, you want to open a bank account, nobody wants to open a bank account, really. It's a pain because of the US reporting and the US tentacles, state tentacles, its grip on the global financial system. It, it owns swift payments. It owns everything. And it wants every US citizen to pay its taxes because the, the mother beast needs to feed the debt burden, right? So it's actually very restrictive. So it doesn't like you being able to opt out of the financial system. Okay, they want to make sure they get the taxes. It's fine. You're a US citizen. But different countries have been more loose on it. I think Europe is going to freak out over AI more than it, the US is. But Europe's been actually better on crypto than the US has. Why? I don't know. But the crypto side of the equation is really important because I've lived this my entire life. Why is London such a big financial center, considering it's a tiny little island in the middle of a really brown, muddy, cold sea? It's because it speaks English and it has a well-developed financial system and legal rule of law. But what really changed for London was the US coming off the gold standard um, back in 1971-2, wherever it was. So that created something called the foreign exchange market because before everything was pegged to gold. And now the pound and the dollar and the Deutschmark and the yen were all moving around independently. And the US had capital controls because it's got the global reserve currency. It's like, please don't mess around. You know, We've just gone off and changed the global system. We need to be careful. Okay, I get it, fine. So the UK said, well, all these people we trade with they need to get access to different currencies now. So the foreign exchange market started, largest market the world had ever seen. Then the US made another false step. So the banks started moving to London, right? Big, lucrative, massive market. Deepened the UK's trade linkages with everybody, financial trade linkages. Next thing happens is now everybody's trading around with currencies. The dollar is the middle currency, the reserve currency. And people want to borrow dollars. And the US is being restricted with its capital. So the UK says, forget it, we'll do it. It became what's known as the Eurodollar market, which is the overseas market for dollar borrowing and lending. That becomes a, we don't know the size of it, but let's call it a $400 trillion market. <laughs> Whoa. And then the US, then we get this big breakthrough in derivatives. The US has got the Chicago Board of Trade doing futures and options and all of this stuff. But we start to figure out more complicated structures, things like swaps. And the US stops its banks doing it by its use of regulatory capital. They're like, no, 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 this is inefficient. You can't do this. The UK and Europe went, well, we're going to regulate and allow it to happen because it's big. We've seen this before. That becomes a quadrillion dollar market. 
Jesus. That's why every single bank from about 1985, well, particularly after the big bang in London. So let's call it from about 1990 to about 2008, 2010, all the major banks' largest operations were London. So Goldman Sachs' biggest operation, most profitable, London. Merrill Lynch, London. Well, Merrill Lynch is different because it was a brokerage firm. But JP Morgan, they were all London. So London, if you've been watching the news, is going to do the same thing. It's called regulatory arbitrage. London is putting together a very sensible set of crypto rules. As has Europe, as has Switzerland, as has Singapore, as has Hong Kong, as has Australia. Okay, there's its old trading group that it did with euro dollars and it did with derivatives and it did with foreign exchange, all got their regulations in place. The UK is the hub at the middle, and it will capture the lion's share. And before you know it, Coinbase, Gemini, and everybody will move to London. There'll still be listed firms in the US, but they will move. And this is the issue with the AI and crypto. You can't shut it down. Mm. Because if it is productive and it has value and it has future expected value that's higher than today, it will go somewhere. And if we look at the crypto market now, it's a trillion dollars. Okay. That's meaningful for the UK economy. Where is it going to go? Well, 10, 30, 50 trillion. Well, the UK wants that pie because it shot itself in the foot after Brexit. Um, so the US can try and regulate it all at once. It'll just move. It's like water. Decentralized networks and global fin finance and money is like water. It flows everywhere. And it's the same with this AI, which is why I don't think we can solve it with regulation. Mm. Because somebody's going to be have the profit motive. Yeah, it it will go somewhere. That is for sure. Walk me through the reversal, the Chinese reversal on uh, Bitcoin. So they had clamped down everywhere, including Hong Kong, but they've now opened up Hong Kong. That was startling to me. Well, they've done encouraging, this before, but they've done this several times before. Is at the wrong time they try and stop capital flight because everybody knows that the Chinese have been using this to get money out of the China economy, which is what. Stable coins are being used for as well, as has the global art market, as has there's a lot of things that the Chinese use to get money in and out of the system. So they try to stop that when the US dollar is very strong. That's a start because they can't lose control of their currency. It's a big fear of the Chinese. Additionally, the Chinese have moved towards a central bank digital currency, mm. which is very useful for them because once you, you do it, you can now take stock of the number of yuan in your system because there's no cash. There still is, but you know what you're doing is you can then see where it goes. Um, and so I think they did that. They got the size and scope of what their money supply really is. And now you can reopen it because you can now track it because it's all digital. Well, you couldn't track it easily before because you could hide it with bank payments, up, blah, blah, blah. But blockchain makes everything transparent, much to you know everybody's chagrin because everyone thought it was a privacy thing. It's actually not, not in that kind of mechanism. And I also think this is more contentious. Is that's the reason Binance survived everything is the Chinese government wanted it to. Hmm. Because that is the linkage between the fiat world and the crypto world. And they own the... 
you know, Chinese state essentially is a supporter of the largest crypto exchange in the world because that is a potential bet on the future of the system of money. And it wants a say in that. It makes total sense. Where's, where's Binance headquartered? There isn't one. You guys know I have a very strict diet that I stick to, except for very special occasions. And I do that so that I can bring my best every day to what I'm doing. And a big part of that strict diet is high quality animal protein and my go-to source of trustworthy meats and seafoods with no added hormones or antibiotics ever is ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood all directly to your door. I cannot recommend ButcherBox enough. When you eat ButcherBox, you are giving your body the best possible building blocks to work with so you can reach your full potential. You've got to take care of yourself at a cellular level if you want to hit your peak consistently. So ButcherBox is the key. Sign up at butcherbox.com impact and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off, and that means you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com impact and use code impact to choose your free-for-a-year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with ebay motors brake kits led headlights exhaust kits turbochargers bumpers whatever your baby needs ebay motors has it and with ebay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time or your money back plus at these prices you're burning rubber not cash keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply it's Tom Bilyeu here. And if you are addicted to the relentless pursuit of greatness, then I've got something special for you guys. The Motivation Daily Podcast by Motiversity. It's your daily fix of motivation, inspiration, and wisdom featuring the best speeches and speakers on the planet. We cover it all. Life, business, relationships, discipline, purpose, mental health, sports, studying, focus, you name it. With exclusive speeches from heavy hitters like Coach Payne, Billy Allsbrooks, Marcus Taylor, Dr. Jessica Houston, Walter Bond, and more. If you're ready to take control, level up, or just crush your day, then Motivation Daily Podcast is your secret weapon. Search for the Motivation Daily Podcast and follow wherever you listen to amazing podcasts. Where does, oh God, what's his name? CC, Dubai. Okay. I, yeah, I was going to say, I can't fathom that he's actually in China. Uh, very interesting. So when you think about... Um, sorry, go And ahead. the US will probably support Coinbase in the end. What? Because everybody needs control of this situation. If not, the UK will take control of the entire money, the global world of new money. 
or the, the yeah, digital look, I, system. I, I of hope value. you're right about that, but I don't see a single move on behalf of the U.S. government that would lead me to believe that uh, unless they lose the Coinbase lawsuit, I, or, I think they're just going to. We have a change of ahead. government. Yeah, true, true. Which is what do you think about 2024? I don't know. We haven't yet seen the contenders. You know, everybody's got a bit too much hair on them still. So we don't, it doesn't feel like there's something obvious, but maybe there will be maybe something out of this. You know, I thought Frank Suarez, not because he's a, um, Francis Suarez, not because, you know, he's the pro crypto guy, but he's, he's young. the mayor of Miami, right? He's the mayor of Miami. He is centrist, essentially. You know, he, it's just that kind of person, younger, more dynamic. We need to find somebody of that. We can't, the US can't keep going down the same thing of baby boomers voting for baby boomers, voting for baby boomers and trying to protect themselves. That has to be broken somehow. Has to, it broke in the UK. Look, Rishi Sunak, he's young. He's a centrist, young, whether they keep him in or not. I, 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 don't, I, I, I don't vote in the UK anymore, but at least they're making progress like crypto regulation and AI and technology and fintech and because they've got a young younger government. And mm. we've seen that in, you know, France has done well because Macron is younger. Um, but, you know, so we need that. Yeah, that I will agree with. So since I'm wearing my, uh, my Doomer hat today, I'll push on the geographical thing. So what it feels like here in the US is that things are really beginning to intentionally divide along geographical regions. And uh, you're getting like this hunkering down into blue state, red state, uh, people peeling off. If you're into crypto, you're either going to Texas or you're going to Miami um, and seeing the, there's this whole new idea of, uh, make America States again, where people are saying, Hey, we need to stop doing all of the regulation at the federal level. We need to start pushing this down to the state level, um, and letting the States compete for the residency effectively of the populace and let them begin to move. Now I'm grateful as somebody that feels out of step with the federal government on my take on crypto, I'm certainly very excited that that is at least an option. But like your boy, um, Goldsmith, Goldweight, oh, James, James Goldsmith. There we go. Uh, I am. I would like to, to broadcast my dire warning. While there might be a, a part of that that is good, that ends so badly because you end up fracturing you end up pitting people against each other. It ends up, I think, becoming very problematic very so fast. I saw this in 2012 um, because of what happened in Europe. And I saw what was happening in the US. It's one of the reasons I bought a, and built a house in the Cayman Islands. I just thought I need a plan B. And the plan B needs to be somewhere where nobody cares about. Mm, that's but I can still live a high quality of life. It was a very purposeful decision knowing where the world was going to go because there was no solution. So the kind of realizations that you're having now, I had, it's more visceral for you now because you're just seeing another banking crisis. But mm. we saw it in 2012. We saw really bad outcomes there. And I think the US one is still to grow. So it's just it's just the, the delayed response of ha having it happen to you. The moment it does, it's like, okay, I get it now. So I did this and I don't think that's going to go away. I'm hoping for a miracle. What doesn't go away? Sorry. 
populism, anger, uh, division, and a separation into smaller states. I actually spoke to um, an old client of mine, an old friend, who's one of the world's great macro thinkers, this Italian count, and he speaks very quietly. And I was telling him about this. I was like, I think Spain is going to splinter into countries. The UK is probably going to splinter. Scotland will probably separate. You know, blah, blah, blah. And he said, listen, Raoul, the trend of the last 50 years was super states, the EU, the United States of America. He said, usually those things end up separating again. And if you think he said, you know, he was a, whatever he was, a count from an Italian, you know, one of the Venetian states, these little small states. He said, the world does this, ebbs and flows, centralization, decentralization, right? It's, it's very common. He said, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's the getting there that could be troublesome. Depends how it, how it happens. You know, don't forget, we disbanded the British Empire. That was gigantic. And yes, we, there was some pretty ugly stuff that happened, like, you know, the uh, what happened in India when, when we kind of gave back the keys and everybody killed each other in the partitioning. It was ugly, but it did happen over time. So I don't know. I think the trend is not going to go away unless we somehow change this economic equation, because that's what's driving it. Yeah. It's the same equation that's driving it. Yeah, very, very distressing. And I think, unfortunately, I think the pieces are already on the table in terms of how we could potentially change the economic system, uh, which is effectively Bitcoin. You have to remove the ability to inflate. Once you take that away, though, there are also consequences on the other side. And so uh, it is a very, um, it's, ah, man, which, it's a very tricky Which is my, my, my argument has been, you can't do this at once. Anybody who does this wants the end of the world. It has to happen as a glide path. And over time, the crypto side of the equation, the new rails for the system, mm. can experiment, get itself sorted out, figured out, and then we can go. So my, I spoke to the, to the Department of Defense about this in 2014, 13, 13. And I said, you know, they periodically, you know, reach out to pe- people like me, you know, thinkers about stuff who've, who are looking at crises and stuff like that, because their job is to, to assess risk. And I was talking to them about it. And I said, obviously, he said, you know, we're worried about debt, we're worried about the system blowing up. I said, yes, obviously, everybody is. Because um, that's one of the things that need to game out what happens if the West loses control of money and debt and everything else. And I said, well, I think the answer's there, and I think it's Bitcoin. And he said, yeah, well, tell me more. I said, and I think the US government and the UK government invented it, which is the NSA and the GCHQ in the UK, who are the two world centers of cryptography. Because even how the, the white paper's written, it's you just think this transatlantic. Yes. I always have. And I asked the Department of Defense. They said, yeah, we've considered that too. That they see the it was official or it was just people from that that went rogue? I don't think it's a necessarily a rogueness. I think like Google have like Google X where they do tons of experiments, right? They know that one of the esoteric risks for the entire Western system is the issue of money. 
So there's probably groups of people who are given things to try. And if you can seed a new system, maybe they tried 100 of these and just one succeeded. We don't know. But it would make sense because that's what they do, this kind of stuff. So one of these took off. And so I think it's always been. I don't think it's a coincidence it came out of the financial crisis. I don't think it's a coincidence that that the halving cycle and all of this is all related. It is the solution. It always, always has been the solution. You just can't go there tomorrow. Mm. So all you need to do is let it happen slowly and manage that transition. You'll be okay. There'll be times where it speeds up because we've got something bad going on and there's times when it slows down. But if you, and that's what I think the US government regulation is trying to do. They don't want to ban crypto. Just slow this down. Because if all the deposits leave the banking system, it's game over. Mm. If they don't set up a way of collecting taxes because everybody's living in crypto land and they have to ask your honesty and what trades you've done, that's not going to work for them because they can't pay the bills. So I think it's they're trying to catch up. Um, I think that the UK will have a CBDC. I think the Europeans will. It's all coming relatively soon, relatively soon, next five years, three years, four years. And they'll feel more in control of the system that they've got because they need to pay the interest payments. Because if not, and the the benefits, the aging benefits, you know, all of this social security is a problem with such an old population. So speaking of managing this transition well, how bad do you think the banking crisis gets before it stabilizes? So feels that we're in the kind of summer phase of we know it's bad, but nothing extra is happening. But meanwhile, the deposits keep leaving the system because the Fed mm. and, and whistling past the graveyard going, la, 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 I can't hear you. <laughs> the problem is interest rates are too damn high, which is the same problem I said. They need basically to go back to zero again. And it's leaving the system. So there's two phases of this. One is the banks will start getting worse again. We'll see the use the KRE ETF, which is the regional bank ETF. It's, it's easy. You can look at that, get it on Yahoo Finance, wherever. You see the price of it going down. That's telling you it's kicking off again. And the outcome will be to keep bailing out these banks, whether they force them into mergers, which was how the banking crisis in 2008 started. And then eventually it's like, shit, we need to give money and sort this out. So we will see that. We know that the banking system can't go to a full-blown reset because we've already had that. I think it'll bring down one of the big banks before it gets really serious. And which one is that? I don't know. Bank of America, something like that. That share price doesn't look great, the long the structure of it. But in the end, the Federal Reserve will come with their magic illusion bullet, the magic money. And that money, magic money will, <coughs> will, will solve all of this, and we will all get mutualized because the asset prices will go up and we won't own enough of them and we will get poorer. So that is coming. The commercial real estate, the, so the quick one is the deposit flight. The Fed needs to cut rates. The yield curve, which is the value of money in the future, the, uh, of interest rates in the future, has to be higher than currently. It's the opposite right now. So that needs to happen. And then in 2024 and 2025, it'll all be about the commercial real estate because all of these, like Real Vision has offices in New York for 65 people and three people go to the office. The moment we can get out of our lease, we'll get out of our lease, as is everybody. And all of this <laughs> stuff's going to be empty. 
So I think that's um, that will all end up on the Fed balance sheet. So the, the banking crisis will continue. It'll make it harder for the average person to get a loan. And the Federal Reserve will see this as the economy goes into recession and eventually they'll start cutting rates and eventually the more cowbell comes back. And as I like to say, it is written. We kind of know. There's no other as, outcome. As we, as we go deeper into recession. So if we're already in recession, all that happens, we go deeper into recession. It's already written. We know the outcome. Yeah, I mean, Jesus. Uh, who heavy. Okay, so I want to go back to CBDCs. Um, I've heard you say, if I'm not misquoting, that you have a contrarian position here that you think maybe they're not all bad. They're not all bad because firstly, I do not buy the argument that, well, they've got control over your money if you do this. You're signing over to the devil. I'm like, you guys signed over to the devil by having a bank account. All of your funds are available. And if you're telling me, oh, well, they're going to force us not to use cash, and you're telling me you're using cash for anything apart from tipping the valet guy at the restaurant and buying weed, you're lying. Nobody <laughs> uses cash. Nobody uses cash. Everybody I don't even use cash for card. my weed, Raul. I live in California. <laughs> no, exactly. So nobody uses cash. So it's, a, it's a lie. And so they're using their credit cards. They're using their PayPal or their Venmo. Mm. They're then on social media. They've got Google. Everything is accessible by the government. That Your privacy was the story 30 years ago. Not today. Maybe it's gone. So a CBDC means that the government can become more, well, they can even stop money now. You've seen it. You know, you're the Russian, suddenly you don't have the money, right? So all of that is always still there now. So yes, they can penalize you, but I also think you can do good with it. So I think there's a load of bad outcomes and governments will abuse it. Fact. I also think there's some really amazing outcomes for economics. How so? I've heard you say that, but I don't understand how that would work. I think, so let's say you have Hurricane Katrina. Devastating. People aren't insured. It's It's a catastrophe. So how it happens now is the federal government makes a payment to Louisiana and blah, blah, blah. And there's all these middlemen and everybody grabs its stuff and it doesn't get to the people. You could give 3 million people in New Orleans instant payments in seconds. You cannot give economic stimulus to wealthy people. You can give it to poor people. You can penalize people who have excess savings versus the people who who don't have enough savings. So I, you can give poorer people a 15% interest rate to, to, to lend at, i.e. to get on deposit. Okay, that's all that's interesting. And maybe they can borrow money at one price versus another. You can do a lot of behavioral economics and changing the system. And behavioral economics, everyone's like, well, that's the Chinese government. They've got spy cameras everywhere. I mean, look, the US government knows everything what you do. I mean, every time I come into the country, I just stare at I stare at the global entry, recognizes my face. I don't even show my passport to anybody. I'm into the country. I'm then into an Uber. Everyone knows where I'm going. My Apple Maps clocks me. I mean, look, forget about it. They're all the governments are the same. So I just think, economically speaking, we could do interesting things. We don't have to be so Luddite about how we use fiscal stimulus. 
and that we you can just said create something... we can create incentives good good incentives if dealt with well hmm. if dealt with well yes uh you said something all governments are the same that uh oh yeah I violently disagree with what uh, no it's just that? a meme it's just a meme you're uh, all what governments stand for we stand for freedom we stand for that it's all a meme that you they're all the same they all control their people in a certain way and dress it up in a different manner one says we're protecting you the one says the enemy's outside the others they're all the same then how do you hold a society of large numbers of people together, you create different ways of doing it. And it's it people it, it pisses me off when people say, us good, them bad. By whose judgment? What, because 1.4 billion people in China live their life differently than the 350 million Americans. They're bad, we're good because they don't follow our system. That's insanity. And Americans would suggest that they're pressed up against the window, desperate to get out of China because they hate it go there they don't hate it why would the japanese want such a regulated society because it works for them so we just have to drop our own lens of who is good and who is bad and i'm you know i've traveled to i don't know 120 countries i've lived in several i'm just very open-minded about different people choose different systems that suits them but most governments in the end try to help their people but will also abuse them in the process and it's just different ways one way I make sure my business is moving in the right direction is to ensure we are constantly becoming more efficient. Because in my experience, inefficiencies will eat away your profits and leave you with a dying business. But with the right technology, your business can get the insights it needs to become efficient and ultimately unstoppable. And that is why I recommend you check out NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all of it into one platform and one source of truth. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors that are massively inefficient. Guys, inflation is no joke. So check out NetSuite and see how you can cut costs and boost performance at the same time, like the 37,000 companies that have already made the switch. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Do not wait. Head right now to netsuite.com slash theory. Again, that's netsuite.com slash theory. Get the information you need. Head to netsuite.com slash theory. It's interesting. Um, so I don't know that I disagree with the that at a very high level in that everybody is doing something. Uh, you didn't say nefarious, but I will say nefarious. And it just comes down to the flavor of that's power, activity. right? Power, power is just different flavors of power. Yes. However, having read a trilogy of books that I will recommend to anybody, the specifics of how different moments in different societies will uh, rear the dangerous head, it does seem to me that you want to imbue the populace with a certain mentality that will keep the government in check. And so I think the thing I'm pushing back on are the moments where the humans, because ultimately all of us could rise up and, and stop our governments, 
Um, but when you look at Mao's China or Hitler's Germany or um, Stalin and Lenin's Russia, they they are terrifying to a level that I don't think modern people have availed themselves of to realize how wrong this can go. And so when I look at the CBDCs, um, I don't I don't have a lot of wisdom here. I want to be very clear that I'm now thinking through something out loud for the first time. But uh, reading the Red Famine, for instance, which is not part of the the trilogy of books, just because I alluded to it, I'll say it. Uh, Gulag Archipelago, which is about Stalin's Russia, um, the rise and fall of the Third Reich, which is about Hitler's Germany, uh, and Mao: The Untold Story, which is about Mao's China. They they all illustrate a level of um, human evil that is is just unimaginable. Then there's a fourth book, which is um, The Red Famine, which is about the Ukraine in the 1920s, if I remember correctly, uh, when they went in to the Ukrainian farmers and said, um, all of you kulaks who are basically, you're, you're outproducing other farmers and therefore you must be stealing from people. And so they killed, imprisoned them, all this stuff. And, and because you just killed your best farmers, Basically, all of the farmers start starving to death because the government is just seizing all of their grain. And so you kill the best and then you seize everything from everybody. And there is a moment in the book where a woman eats her own seven-year-old daughter. And I was like, I'm out. Like it, it is, things can go so wrong. And I worry that we, we've had such a period of stability that we forget that there is this darkness that is present in the human animal. Uh, as uh, Solzhenitsyn said, the guy that wrote the Gulag Archipelago, who, by the way, was in the Gulags, uh, he said, the line between good and evil runs through the center of every human heart. And so I worry that we, we have to eternally protect ourselves from how wrong things can go. And so I do look at a CBDC with a little bit of hesitation as you map it out and say, I'm already doing everything. I had to laugh out of anxiety uh, because you're right. I don't use cash for anything. Uh, so a hundred percent. And so when it's, I saw not, what it's happened, not a big change to you. I think you're fearing the wrong thing. I think the fear ooh, is right. At what do you say? Point, what you think I'm fearing? Central bank digital currencies, I think are a distraction. What is actually happening is you've already got capital controls in the United States. It's hard for a U.S. citizen to move the money around. You can't even get rid of your damn passport. You're stuck in your state. You can't even leave your state. You pay tax everywhere in the world. Nobody else does. I think there's three countries in the world that pay tax, that force their citizens to pay tax if they live outside of their country. I don't know what it is. But I would fear the US going to war with China. It's fine to be at economic war. It's fine to be very cautious of, of another rising power. But if they go to war, the outcome is terrible. That is a much bigger risk than a central bank digital currency. It is, as you, as you said, there's something goes wrong with power that can lead to these outcomes when humans overextend it and hubris is one of the risks and that power to control the world I, that that to me is a bigger risk there may be another risk 
the enemy within, i.e. the country collapses on itself, can happen too. There's, there's a number of ways your, your leaders can let you down, and you should always be vigilant. So I do agree, but I think the CBDC war was lost a long time ago. The privacy from your government war is not going away because of technology. Because Elon Musk has got, you know, he's putting 40,000 satellites in the sky. Every GPS can see you and everything. So that all went. So you just need to make sure your government is not going to abuse that because that's when it gets really bad. Mm. Yeah, that, that, that's that my, actually. My no, bigger fear. It's abuse of power, not monetary abuse as much as raw abuse of power. My biggest existential mm. threat is do not go to war with China because that was the outcome for Hitler, for the economic collapse. There, there are reasons people go to war, and the outcome and the end result is not good. So I'd be worried about more of that stuff but the u.s is kind of warmongering like crazy right now rattling its saber it's like against china or in the ukraine it's against china and it's it's okay to not like china's system because it's different to your own it's okay to feel threatened because china has economic um power increasing and that's threatening your system that's all okay just don't go too far yeah, it's interesting. The you know, thing that I—it's like you can have fear... a bar fight, but if you pull out a gun, you're fucking stupid. Hmm. And it's not because U.S. wins or loses; it's because everybody loses. Yeah, I think the thing that I fear more. So I think it was 70 million people died in World War II. It's certainly not more than that. So let's say 70 million. Mao's China killed over a hundred million. Looks estimates vary, but that seems pretty plausible. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, it's that worries me. So my thesis was because I I very much agree with you that the capital controls isn't the thing. I'm not specifically saying capital controls is the thing I fear. What I'm saying is I think that you want the populace to have a healthy skepticism when the government wants more control because the government taking more and more and more and more and more control ends up in a really dark place. And so my thesis around that and and going back to what started this whole conversation is the reason that I got into finance content in the first place is it was me trying to understand how the world actually works. And this is why, and I'm sure it drives my audience crazy sometimes, why I will I will circle around a single point until I really understand it. Because if I can understand its nature, then I know how to protect myself. I can do novel things. In fact, everybody listening, please hear me when I say, you can only follow until you understand something's nature, because you're following people that do understand the essence of that thing. But once I understand the essence of money, and this is why your everything code is so important to me and it hit me so hard, is it it gives me a framework with which I can understand the entire system. And so instead of looking at one thing, I'm looking at the entire system. So as I say, to be somewhat skeptical of the government taking more and more power is to understand the essence of government uh, is that it will continue to ratchet up. It will continue to seek more power. It, it, is, it is part of its essence. And so when you look at the, the U.S. experiment, which I think is the right way to look at it, it was an experiment in how do we um, 
put the power in the hands of the people as much as humanly possible? How do we recognize that people tend towards tyranny? How do we put systems in place that basically trend towards stalemate instead of trending towards rapid change? Because when read The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, it is one of the most startling books I've ever read in my life. As, as the guy's going through it and he's talking to people about Hitler, Hitler was able to talk uh, the what's now the Czech Republic. I forget the original name. Czecho something. Czechoslovakia. Czechoslovakia. Thank you. Uh, he was able to talk them out of their country, dude. There was not a single fire, uh, single shot fired. He he got them to sign over their country. And I'm just like, God damn. Like the the way that he just slowly eroded the country until he was made Fuhrer and was like, oh, nobody can challenge my power now. It It is crazy. And when you watch it step by step unfolding, it's just like, hey, somebody needs to check this power. Now, the fact that Hitler came up earlier in this conversation because of monetary sanctions and that this all, to your point about the everything code, it all comes back to a debt cycle, which is crazy. But as you begin to understand how all of this, how even the debt cycle is just a response to human nature. And so now it's like, okay, as you begin to understand the essence of things, now you can understand what to be wary of. So I, I see the point, can see the point, that overly focusing on a CBDC isn't the right move because I've already given up all those capital controls and all that. What I want to remind myself to be aware of and other people is that, man, unchecked grabs for power they end badly every single time. And they can be even more catastrophic than a world war. So, so one. Need so to be let's careful. just come full circle again, just to tie up all these loose ends. When things are bad and people are angry, governments get more extreme. We've seen this, right? The volatility of government has gone more left, more right. And they just, I think they do more bad things. The left becomes overly restrictive, um, you know, too much regulation, too much. The right does other things, and it's it's just not good. The the and if you carry on like this, and economic growth continues to slow, you will have war. Whether it's civil war or state sponsored war, you will. So this is why you need to have this productivity miracle. There is no other outcome. And I know people get pissed about what the Europeans are doing with forcing ESG, the green energy side of the equation. They're not stupid. They know what they have to do. You have to change the energy side. The US is not that keen on it. There's two sides here because the US is the largest supplier of oil to the the largest has the most amount of oil in the world. So it wants to keep hold of that system, but also this new system for the productivity. That that has to happen. If not, you will get down to your danger zone. Because in boom times, nobody goes to war. What do you think Only about, as, as they go to ESG though, um, because I get that. And I've heard you say something, which I think is really smart, which is America is energy independent. So of course, they're not as worried as switching over to renewables, whereas Europe is not. And so for them, it really becomes a far more important issue. My beef, and and again, I would like to acknowledge this is not an area I've thought a lot about, but I've thought about it enough to, this is how I'm looking at it. 
I love the idea of going to renewables, but the way that we're doing it, the speed to your point about sometimes you just need to slow things down, the speed at which you're trying to make a change necessitates from what I can tell, uh, getting into nuclear energy. And the fact that they're eschewing that becomes problematic when you look at um, whether you're trying to enforce this uh, globally. Did you hear Konstantin Kissin's whole uh, Oxford debate on this topic? No. He's basically like, look, uh, England, I think was what he was talking specifically, accounts for like 4% of carbon emissions. So it's like, even if they drop to zero, it has absolutely no impact. So you, this really becomes a question about wealth accumulation. And so you have to understand how it impacts the poorest countries. You were never going to get the poorest countries to say, okay, we don't care about uh, energy. We'll just stay poor and we'll keep burning wood inside of our huts and people are dying uh, from inhaling the smoke from that. Whereas if the approach were, okay, cool, we can't screw over the poor. Uh, we need to transition as quickly as we can. We need to not have a, um, a sort of philosophical, we draw a line against something like nuclear energy. We need updates. It needs to be better, all of that. But the not being able to debate it feels like the problem versus we want to go ESG. So right idea, no, I, wrong execution. Nuclear is coming. It's coming. I mean, Finland's already just started. You know, it'll all come because there's no way of solving the equation. But they do need to already try and get the reliance of fossil fuels down. Nuclear power plants take time to build. It will come. So I don't worry about that. It's how fast this happens. Europe's going fast. There's an argument from people in the commodities markets is it's going to happen too fast. Therefore, there's going to be a massive supply shock because there's not enough oil around and because you're stopping people doing it that's yet to be proven oil will go up as will copper in the next economic upcycle because it always does because it's cyclical would it go to some super cycle that people talk about i don't know yet to be proven um but i think it's the right thing to do to move as fast as possible i also think it's the right thing to do to move towards um, nuclear there's new sources of nuclear are much smaller, much more interested. And when you get actually further down the the understanding of nuclear, you're now getting small nuclear that you could have cars running from nuclear, you could have ha your house running from nuclear, and you can have a decentralized grid. Okay, that's very powerful to have a decentralized grid where you're generating your own power. All of that technology is possible. It's not scaled, it's not you know finalized, but it's possible. So you know, where is the world going in 20 years' time? It's going towards a more decentralized grid. Europe, decentralized grid, all the green energy stuff, decentralization of the grid is a, it's a good thing. It's much more robust mm -hmm. because it can't be struck by a, another sovereign state. Now, these are fragilities. I mean, we talk about this, the hacking of the U.S. power infrastructure because it's so out of date that the Russians or whoever – Whoever it is could bring it down. We we need to decentralize. There's so much, there's stuff we need to do. We, we've got different threats than we ever knew what to deal with. I mean, that cyber threat, that's another whole conversation to have. Um, but read a book called This Is How They Tell You The World Will End by a New York Times journalist about cyber. It's mind-blowing. It's terrifying. Yeah, We're kind of worried like about the wrong energy. Yeah. We're worried about the wrong enemy half the time. Mm. Um who knows? In a digital world, we have very different enemies. All right. We've talked today about two life rafts that I think are really potent that will help us escape this um, cycle. 
technology we talked about a lot, uh, and then crypto. There's one thing on crypto that maybe Web3 is a better way to categorize this that I want to talk about, which is um, tied to this idea that I mentioned earlier that I wanted to get to, which is why the 80s felt so awesome. Um, I was too young to really be aware of what's happening. I know you've looked at that. So I'm curious, is it accurate to say that the boom in the 80s, while I think ultimately problematic, uh, was the financialization of everything? And am I right to draw a parallel? And this is one thing that, and again, I am the most ardent Web3 person you can imagine, but I also like looking at the potential downsides. I do worry about the financialization of everything via Web3. So walk us through the 80s. Is that characterization accurate? And are we just going to see the same problem with Web3? So firstly, the 80s was kicked off by a collapse in interest rates and an end of that inflation beast driven by demographics. So it automatically felt better. There was an era of deregulation, which was the Reagan-Thatcher years. But we started a massive, monumental debt cycle. And I think it was Margaret Thatcher that started it personally, because she did something magical. And this is politicians and their abuse of power. And this is, as ever, probably an unintended consequence. They're good ideas and bad ideas. Nobody knows the outcomes. So in the UK, what you would call housing projects in the United States are called council houses. Mm. And council houses were free accommodation for people who didn't have the means to buy accommodation. And so it was easy to live there. The government gave it out. It was part of the the structure of the post-World War II repairing a broken society. And then Margaret Thatcher came along and said, well, these people should have economic participation, much like we're talking about with crypto. You can participate in the growth of the economy, not get left behind. Very good. Well said, Margaret. Her idea is we'll sell them the housing for cheap so that they're in because they become conservative voters. The probability of being a conservative voter if you're a house owner versus a non-house owner were massive at the time. So she's winning votes. But actually... Give people economic participation. Great. So they get the council houses, but they all become debtors. These are creditors, these people. Didn't have debts. They don't get mortgages. Turned millions of people into debtors overnight. And then so the hamster wheel starts of debt, and they start building up debt. And the US deregulated a lot of stuff at the same time based around Margaret Thatcher's ideals. And so this was where... If you can think about it, the 80s, so the average baby boomer is now 30, 35 years old. They're into the workforce. The inflation is behind them now. Interest rates are coming lower. Their wages don't go up. So what they do is like, let's borrow some money. Interest rates have gone down. And that massive debt cycle starts. So the 80s felt great because everyone had money that wasn't real. And that's why the financial system got ahead of itself. 87 crash was part of that. And then it just took off again because the answer to the financial system getting ahead of itself was to cut interest rates and allow even more financialization. So I've argued, like you, that humans are humans and we will create leverage in every system that we do. And we will create leverage within, and we've done it already and blown up um, in the crypto markets. So you create some fragilities that exist in the in the financial system. Everything is financialized 
i.e. the tokenization of everything via Web3, I think everything has value anyway. We're just bringing it to exchange. Does it become a crazy, boom-bust, wild west world of degenerate gamblers? Probably, because that's what humans are. Um, but also, <laughs> but the stock market's the same, right? Why restrict one market versus the other? Why restrict the market for, you know, all goods and services have, have a price. So I think price discovery works, everything else. I think the reason price discovery doesn't work in crypto so well or it becomes so boom bust is because it's it's still restricted. It's small. It's just a small market. So too much capital in a small market, in and out, creates outsized outcomes. Market's bigger. So if you put a trillion dollars into crypto, it would more than double because of even though the size of crypto is a trillion, is because everyone's holding stuff, there's not enough liquidity, and before you know it, it's a huge price. Put a trillion dollars into the US stock market, yeah, might got 20%, 50%. What's the crypto market get up with a trillion dollars? I don't know, 100x. So it's just a function of it's a function of that. And I I do think the ability to access, freely access capital within the Web3 world is a game changer for people. Capital is restricted right now. I've got to remember that. And yeah, we're seeing the ugly ugliness of of meme coins and scams and crappy NFT stuff. We're seeing the ugly side of it. But free access to capital? I haven't seen that before. You need to be a regular a regulated type of investor. You, you don't get access to capital. The system is against you. So I think access to capital is a very, very powerful thing that can happen through Web3. Do you think that people will just get savvier? Because what's happened so far is you've had some really amazing legitimate things happen, and then you've had some super rapid scams. I mean, there was at one point the NFT thing where the guy, what do you say, like uh, later fools or a later, oh God, I forget what the meme was, but later nerds or something like that. And so he literally just took people's money and then was like, bye. Um, so you have two paths before three, make it illegal, regulate it, or expect people to get smarter. Um, which do you think happens or some combination thereof? So have you ever had any friend or anybody you've come across take money from you and never return it? Yes. Yeah. Is that regulated? No. Is you lending your uncle money because he wants to buy a car? Is that regulated or unregulated? It's unregulated, but it is taxed. Like I have to declare it. Yeah, so you should declare crypto. But why is, are you able to go and, you know, if you're a 21-year-old, are you able to take your entire paycheck to a casino and blow it in one go? Yes. So why the hell should access to capital to grow businesses and do stuff be regulated in the same way? I don't understand the logic. It is protective of the system. It is not protective of the people. You don't think we can all lose thing? money. Sorry? I, it feels to me like a nanny state thing. So even gambling, you can only do it in the US. You can only do it in certain areas. You can't just gamble blanketly. Yeah, but you can go to Vegas, do what the fuck you want with as much money as you want, and nobody can ask a damn question. But hey, you want to go to Coinbase and buy you know, some token that's not listed in, you know, you're in trouble or you're not allowed to do it. So why one thing and not the other? And I think it's because access to capital makes some people extremely rich. 
and to be the tap provider to the capital, which is the banking system, you get to have the capital and you don't. Or a VC or a private equity firm. You get it, you get it, you don't. Why don't you get it? Because I don't like you. That's that's not right. But in every other economic transaction, a private transaction, there is no protection outside of a contract. So if you give it to your uncle and you get him to sign a piece of paper to say, I will promise to pay you back, okay, you've now got a contract. So as long as there's some contract, some general ground for how we can interact with each other, that's okay. But to say good, bad, Vegas good, capital markets bad, it's just, I think that's an abuse of power. And it's abuse of power, particularly in the US, because of the system of money and power and the lobby groups. Who pays for power in the US is not like Europe. It doesn't happen in Europe in the same way. Um, it's it's always shocks everybody, the US political system and how it's driven by money. The food outcomes, medicine outcomes, you know, the everything is driven by these superpowers. The corporations. How's it kept out of Europe? You just can't make donations. You can't lobby. Yeah, we just don't have such. I don't know the exact structure, but I don't think you can actually run elections with based on money. Hmm. So it just doesn't work in the same way where you can raise a super pack with a gazillion dollars and therefore you can do that. And by the way, I'll buy those votes. Yes, of course, there's horse trading and vested interests, and there is no perfection in any politics. It all stinks, but it's just not as as abused. Mm. Okay, so let's play out the scenario. So if you were to let people, uh, and I don't know if you're saying truly unregulated, but if you're if you let Web3 go without putting in the kind of regulation that we see around uh, equities now, what do you think happens? Do you think we just we have like a five or ten year period where a ton of people get burned, and then it people begin to get um, they right size, they get skeptical, and it it sort of comes out in the wash as people self educate, or do you think that it will just be a flywheel for abuse? Yeah, look, I, th- I I I'm a believer in regulation. I just believe that don't excessively regulate that that gives outcomes that are unfair on others. So I think there's there's regulation, you know. I don't think there's an issue with a KYC AML element to stuff. I don't think there's an element for prosecuting fraud. I don't think there's an issue with that. You just need to define what the rule book is. Um, it shouldn't be all that bad, all this good. It should be, you know, is what contract is enforceable here? Is it a societal contract or is it a physical contract? If somebody steals money from you. Should they be prosecuted? Yes. Should you say everybody who uses this system is is doing so illegally? That is wrong. So I do believe in regulation. I just think I'm. I just like a more pragmatic approach to life in general. I I, I think just being a pragmatist helps, and don't be an idealist or an ideologue. Just be practical and pragmatic. And solutions are much easier than people expect. People tie themselves to ideologies too much. And I think ideologies are dangerous. Preach, brother. It's all right preach. to have a a general a general ideology is fine. 
but imposing your ideology on others, not fine. Mm. All right, brother, as always, this is amazing. I know you have a new event going on. Tell people about it. Yeah, look, if you want to know more about AI, I mean, Real Vision is an amazing resource for everything, all of these kind of conversations. Um, but we have a specific kind of festival of learning about AI, and it's free. So just use realvision.com forward slash Tom. Use that, get your free trial. Um, and I, I don't know when the festival of learning starts, next week, the week after. All right, everybody, thank you so much for joining us. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care, peace.